Welcome to Your Path to Nonprofit Leadership, the weekly podcast that features the very best in productivity and career development in the nonprofit sector. I'm your host, Patton McDowell, and committed to bring you ideas and resources that will build your professional development plan. Thanks for listening. And if you're a current nonprofit leader or hope to be one, you're in the right place. I'm glad to bring you these weekly conversations with nonprofit leaders who are truly on the cutting edge of our sector. And if you would, do me a favor, share this episode with one other person so that we can continue to build a global community focused on nonprofit leadership. Well, I had a fantastic conversation this episode with Gail Bauer, who really is a tremendous resource for nonprofit leaders through her consulting practice called Bauer & Company. She's in Philadelphia, but works with nonprofits all over the country. And as Gail puts it, she helps nonprofits put more money in their mission. And if you're listening right now, I'm sure you're pondering exactly that topic as you consider the future of your nonprofit. Well, Gail and I had a great conversation about three general topics that could help you right now. And number one, we used Gail's skill as a futurist to unpack the paralysis that many of us are feeling as it pertains to strategic planning for our nonprofit organization, given the uncertainty that surrounds us. Well, she has a great process that can help activate your organization's strategic plan and engage your staff, board, and volunteers in a really meaningful way. Well, secondly, we talked about those corporate sponsors you've been chasing. How do you continue to engage them in a virtual environment? And how can you find new ways to create a culture that encourages their involvement and continued financial support? Gail's literally written a book on this topic, so you won't want to miss her advice on this subject. And finally, we discuss why don't more nonprofits have an effective marketing plan? Lots of activity, lots of social media, but is it effective and is it the result of a lack of a fundamental marketing document? All this and much more on episode number 96 of the podcast. Don't forget to check out the show notes related to this episode. Just go to the podcast or the news page at PattonMcDowell.com and you can find all of the resources that Gail shares with our listeners. And there are quite a few. So make sure you check it out and also learn more about Gail, the great work she's doing at Bauer and Company, and these wonderful resources that are linked when you get there. Speaking of resources, while you're on the website, make sure you connect with us, utilize any of our social media channels, or just simply make sure you're on our email list and we can get you free weekly resources like this episode and other things we'll be providing. Let us help your nonprofit build that strategic plan, maybe re-engage your board, or maybe even most importantly, how do we help you in your journey to nonprofit leadership? Let's talk about perhaps a spot in one of our upcoming mastermind small group coaching programs. Unique opportunity here. We still have spots left in both the summer and fall cohorts. Without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Gail Bauer. Gail, thank you for joining me on the path. 
Thank you so much, Patton. I'm so much looking forward to our discussion today. Well, I am equally excited. Uh, Gail, you have lots to share with our listeners. The topics that you have helped nonprofits are, are so timely right now. Uh, planning for the future, helping build relationships with corporate sponsors, and just building a marketing platform in general is something I know our listeners will benefit from. So thank you in advance for getting into those topics with me. But before we do that, let's talk about you. How did you come to the current work you do with nonprofits? And tell us a little bit about your journey. Sure. Well, thanks. Well, I uh, first of all, organizations hire me as the revenue strategist. And I work with organizations to either uncover new sources of revenue, or I help them improve the results of existing forms of revenue. And so that often gets into marketing and events and corporate sponsorship and identifying new forms of earned revenue and so on and so forth. And um, my journey here might seem, um, it's, while going through it, it seems sort of circuitous, but it's sort of a, it's really sort of a straight line. So I was an English major in college and knew that I always wanted to write. Uh, I got out of college and had some a, a corporate position in market research that was um, not my cup of tea and eventually moved to an advertising agency that was actually my only job um, from that point forward. And it was actually the best, it was the best job ever. So I was an account executive in both advertising and PR. Wow. And got to also be a writer in PR. And that's where I got my start in corporate sponsorship. Um, representing clients in sponsorship deals. I worked there for about two years and then went out on my own. So I've been, I've been WFHing. <laughs> yeah, you know, home. work from home for sure, work, don't you? Yeah, I've been working from home for years and years and years. Um, so from there, I was a freelance writer and event producer. I had sort of two tr parallel tracks going on in my, my life. I was, I had my own clients that I was developing marketing plans and executing marketing plans for um, many nonprofit organizations, but for-profit clients as well. And then separately, I um, happened to have this wonderful alliance with uh, a festival production company. And we, I, I was part of a team that produced large-scale music festivals all over the United States. So I worked on several in Philadelphia that actually don't exist any longer, but um, also through that company had an opportunity to work on some of the most important music festivals uh, in the world, really. The Newport Jazz Festival, the Newport wow. Oak Festival, yeah. The New Orleans Jazz and Heritage Festival, the Essence Music Festival, and even um, both of the largest free public events for both of President Clinton's inaugurations. That's um, fantastic. Yeah. So each of these events were like little mini businesses. And I was responsible for um, generating the predominant parts of the revenue through marketing and so on and corporate sponsorship. And then after I did that for about 18 to 20 years, and then, you know, had a little bit of an existential crisis, not knowing where I wanted to go. I'll spare you the details. But <laughs> right, <laughs> We've all been there, though, right? That's something not too uncommon. Yeah. And nobody tells you when you're in, in college that that's about to happen. Exactly. <laughs> so anyway, long story short, I realized at that point, um, or eventually after that point, uh, through several different coaching uh, 
interventions and things like that, that I had a lot of expertise that would be really valuable in the nonprofit sector. So in 2005, I launched my consulting practice to help nonprofit organizations uh, expand their visibility, revenue, and impact. And of course, every new situation in life helps you uh, learn more about yourself and uncover new aspects of yourself. So I continued evolving by um, working beyond these areas to um, help with strategy. Um, I was trained as a futurist uh, and I'm expanding again to work with mission-driven businesses um, that are actually for-profit. So I continue to grow and evolve and I can't wait to see where I, I go from here. I love that. And your journey is so appropriate in terms of what value you now bring to nonprofits and certainly to our listeners. Uh, I'm reiterating the visibility, revenue and impact. Yeah. Everybody listening right now has to be or should be thinking about that. And so I know you'll help us with that. I also have to give a shout out as a fellow English major to oh, the yeah. liberal arts folks out there. Don't underestimate the power of liberal arts education as you have indeed built a, a foundation on that. Uh, and so I had to had to add that in. But yeah, before we get into what I think is a very cool aspect of your work as a futurist, speaking about a strategic planning concept, we'll get into um, in this strange virtual environment we're all in, although you're comfortable, obviously, as a work from home professional, but have you seen anything that you found effective in being kind of managing this uh, dynamic, which is new, of course, for many nonprofit leaders? Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I, I would have a hard time advising uh, parents that have young children. I, I, my hat is off to families with young children because they are just doing an amazing an amazing job. So I hope they get major vacations this year. <laughs> Good um, point. Gosh, I, some of the, my, some of the staff members of some of my clients that are, you know, doing a, a great job with their jobs and raising very young children. It's, I don't even know how they're doing it. It's amazing. Um, but for the rest of us, um, you know, I think that it's really important. This is important all the time, but it's really important now since the division of life and work is so threaded together, uh, is really to figure out best ways to make time for yourself, um, to exercise, to eat and sleep well, and just to have time to, you know, to just let your mind wander, you know, have some time in nature. Um, I am uh, a big proponent of uh, really making sure that I have good practices and good systems. Um, so a couple practices and systems of mine, I have a calendar alert for everything, except I've turned them all off for this podcast. <laughs> yeah, thank you. <laughs> Much appreciated. Yes. Um, I use a bullet journal format. So um, I don't want to spend a lot of time with that, but people can look it up, go to nice. uh, Google bullet journal, and you'll see lots of incredible things um, that the person who invented them and his whole tribe of people are doing. Um, I would say always make sure that you schedule next steps with people um, so that you continue to, to move forward and don't, you know, don't let things fall through the cracks, even though you're working from home. Um, try to automate as much as you can uh, and still provide great customer experience. I mean, you know, we've all gone digital, but that doesn't mean you can't have personalization. Um, so I think some of the practices that we have in, in quote, real life in in-person life, we can use some really good technology, but don't let technology overtake 
uh, the territory of, of your, of your life. So there's some things, yeah, there's some things that still elude me like inbox zero. If I could ever, (laughs) if I could ever get there. I don't think it exists. I'm not sure that it exists. That's for sure. I know it's a mirage that taunts me. Well, but other than you and I ever achieving inbox zero, lots of great advice there, Gail, for staying organized, frankly, and not losing sight despite the kind of virtual challenges and maintaining the personal connections. I'm glad you lifted all that up. Um, All right, let's jump into it. You've got lots of good stuff to share. And let me ask you this question. You are a futurist. What exactly is a futurist? So actually a futurist is not unlike a paleontologist. Interesting. Yes. And what I mean by that is a paleontologist or somebody who studies the past, especially the past when humans did not exist, so there's no record of what happened. Um, A paleontologist looks at evidence and data to tell us about what life was like or what a particular dinosaur looked like or what, you know, why they had a long neck or, you know, what their, what their skin may have looked like or whether right, they right. feathers or fur or whatever um, and what their what their habitats must have looked like nobody knows because humans didn't exist at the time when dinosaurs walked on the earth but they can tell us by carbon dating um, bones and fossil remains and um, y- you know ha- extrapolate based on the data so futurists effectively do the same thing except there is nothing in the future yet because it hasn't happened right but, but what we look at instead of physical evidence is we look at trends events and issues that may happen sometime in the future depending on what your time horizon is whether it's five years. I usually work in a shorter time frame because my work is marketing, but there are futurists that are advising governments or, um, you know, advising uh, military or whatever on, on world issues. And, um, or even, you know, one of my colleagues was advising the state of Texas department of transportation on where to put in highways. And they had to really think about what the traffic patterns, where people might be living, what are some of the demographic changes that might be happening that might indicate where things might go. So futurists look at these forms of uh, of, of evidence, if you will, that, you know, evidence that doesn't exist yet, but these right, right. patterns, these signals of things that might happen in the future and create a baseline future and then come up with some other possible futures and help uh, figure out, help, you know, clients or help an organization figure out how to move forward with their eyes open, aware of um possibilities, aware of threats that could happen, um, aware of positive changes that could happen, but mostly aware of uncertainties so that an organization can remain nimble and, um, you know, can make switches on a dime if, if, if need be. And obviously we, we did need. <laughs> yeah, totally. And, and I'm fascinated by this scale because again, as a strategic planner, um, it, it that, that alone or your explanation to me offers such a rich opportunity for an organization to do visioning exercises with a depth that I know you're going to explain. But I'm hearing from a lot of nonprofit leaders, perhaps you are too, but but Gail, you know, it's just hard to do strategic planning right now. There's too much uncertainty. I wonder what you're seeing in the nonprofit space and are you seeing a similar paralysis perhaps around strategic planning? 
Um, I'm not, I'm not necessarily, um, I, my clients are moving forward with new, new strategies and new changes. I mean, one of the things that I've been advising my clients is let's come out of this situation, out of this pandemic, out of this, you know, financial difficulty with new capabilities. I mean, I, I think there will be a great reset. So this is the time to really be thinking about where you want to go and how you want to work and how you want to operate. Uh, I do think that the notion of the way that nonprofits thought about strategic planning in the past is certainly a relic of the past. Yes. Uh, Three-year plans, five-year plans. I mean, that's just not the way to go. Uh, but definitely a 12-month plan. You know, you might be thinking about a six-month plan to get from here to the end of uh, 2021 and then start thinking in the fall about what the year of 2022 looks like. So I think that the plans can be shorter, um, but I don't think that we should be giving up strategic planning. I think, I think the stability and the um, collective uh, thrust forward is something that staff members really need so that they can be thinking longer term and they can leverage time to think forward about where, where we're going. Well, and let me underscore that because, Gail, I think a lot of our nonprofit listeners, they've got a three or five year strategic plan in a binder on their shelf right behind them right now. And so you are specifically and perhaps not just because we're in a pandemic, would you say it's it's a tighter kind of time horizon we should be planning around in general? Definitely. Yeah. A three year plan is, you know, it's ancient history. I would I would just yeah, you've got to take that three ring binder, empty the contents into your recycling bucket <laughs> and <laughs> start fresh. Yeah. Because we need to be thinking, I mean, so much has changed now from the pandemic and um, you know, there's obviously a lot of grief that we all have from what didn't happen and the lives that we lost and the plans that didn't get to get to happen. Um, but there are also changes that are going to move forward with us. And so um a process like strategic foresight can really help illuminate some things that have changed that may continue to change or things that we don't know if they're going to change or not that we need to be paying attention to. And then organizations need to be thinking about, okay, here we are now. What do we need to be doing next? What do we need to be focusing on? So I absolutely think organizations should be focused on strategic planning, but definitely in shorter timeframes. Well, and, and I know you've got a fantastic framework, Gail, that you use with client organizations. I wonder if you could speak to some of the highlights. You used a phrase in a previous conversation of the sustainability quotient that you've helped organizations evaluate. Could could you explain kind of the basis of that and how our listeners maybe could think differently about strategic planning? Sure. Well, um, a lot of times when organizations come to me around strategic planning, there is some kind of goal to have more greater sustainability, greater revenue in the organization. And a lot of times organizations think about sustainability as this, you know, sort of nirvana out there in the future, like to me, inbox zero would be. <laughs> yeah. Speaking nirvana. of another one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a mirage out there in the world. But actually I encourage people to think about sustainability more as a practice than an ultimate destination. It's it's like a, a system and a thermostat, you know, that you always need to be adjusting as you go forward. So the sustainability quotient is a, an assessment tool that I came up with 
that um, measures, well, it measures three areas, but it's, but it really sustainability uh, to be in balance there requires four key pillars. Um, one is to be very clear about your mission, uh, which that sounds like a silly thing to tell nonprofit leaders, but, uh, but nonprofit leaders by and large are so wonderfully generous and want to fix everything and save everything and um, but sometimes what nonprofit leaders need to do is really put parameters around what roles they will and will not serve, which, um, which geographic areas will they serve and not serve, et cetera, so yes. that they're not overextending themselves. So really clear, clearly defining mission is the first area. The second area is to really be focused on value. And again, this is not something that nonprofit organizations often think about, but you're creating value through your mission. Are you thinking about the value that you're creating for your donors and funders to better help define what you're doing? And then are you also thinking about value for corporate sponsors or other value that you might develop that could generate earned revenue, which is the focus of my work? So value is the second area. The third area that I encourage people to think about is this thought about the, the future. And to me, um, being able to look into the future, whatever the time horizon is, and sometimes you need help from external resources sure. to be able to do that. Um, but, but this is the number one superpower for, for nonprofit leaders is to be paying attention to trends and events and issues that may have an impact on the organization going forward. And let me tell you how this might work. Yeah. So I um, worked, one, one client that I worked with uh, to think about uh, strategic foresight before we started working on a strategy was actually a USO organization that was considering uh, a geographic expansion. And we, we did this whole futures exercise to really identify trends and think about the impact that this might have. First of all, the, the board was um, extraordinarily engaged. In fact, the executive director uh, just came up to me at a break and they were, he was like, oh my God, this is amazing. <laughs> he was so excited to see the board members so engaged. So this can be really, you know, board members like to think about strategy. They like thinking about the future. It's very creative. And that's the place where you need to be when you're coming up with strategy. Right. So, so we thought about this geographic expansion, but we thought about different trends that would um, that would surround that would affect or have an impact on the organization. And when you're thinking about trends, events and, um, and issues, you're looking at five different categories that there's an acronym called STEEP, S-T-E-E-P, which is social, meaning not social media, but social like demographics and cultural technological, economic, environmental, and political. And when we looked at all these different trends, we identified a couple that could have an impact. One is um, there was a, a new, uh, there was a presidential election at that time that uh, there were some threats possibly of, uh, of military races uh, or military buildup, I'll, right. I'll just leave it, leave it at that, that right. could have an effect um, on their work, that they may have to shift their programming to focus on troops, as opposed to focusing on economic, uh, sorry, geographic expansion. Now, that didn't come to, to play, that, that, that military buildup didn't happen, but, um, but it, it very well could have. The other thing that we looked at were some economic changes. And 
the these economic changes we thought might have a much slower um, expansion, but it did get the team thinking about how uh, you know some things that they needed to be doing differently. And surprisingly, uh, their big operation is at the Philadelphia Airport, and um, as many USO operations are, because they have you know they they uh, sort of pamper, they provide care and nurturance to troops that are going overseas. Right, and. Um, the they were very surprised to hear that the Philadelphia International Airport was doing some upgrading and some expansion and so on and so forth that they knew was in the works, but it was sped up. And it turned out to be a delightful change to them that some of the changes that they thought would roll out over the course of a couple of years could actually happen much faster. So because we did this exercise, they were prepared with some, you know, some plans for how to make change if this military issue happened. And they were uh, contingency plans is the word I was looking for. And they they were also uh, they were also able to seize this opportunity that happened at the airport and make a longer term change happen much more quickly. So that was really, um, really expeditious, a little bit of serendipity for them. I love that. Yeah. yeah. So that's the third, uh, this third issue. And then the fourth issue is mindset. And this really is the leader. And I know you get into a lot of this work much more deeply than I, um, but you know, the leader has to have a really clear vision of what's happening, uh, what's happening in the future, but also where they want the organization to go. They have to be very receptive and very creative um, and not let fears overcome where the organization really needs to go, um, sort of getting out of their own way. And this, you know, this is not an easy thing to do as human beings, uh, but it is possible. Uh, but being prepared for change and flux and being ready to, to move, the, move the organization forward. So those are the four uh, pillars that I think about for sustainability. And I do have this this uh, tool that I'm happy to share so that everyone can, can take this, this little test. I love that. And I, I guarantee there are going to be people jumping to the show notes for that exact uh, tool. Your four pillars are fantastic. And I have been involved in way too many, I guess, visioning exercises, Gail, that I think, while somewhat effective in, in terms of at least trying to look ahead, uh, you break it down into distinct and actionable ways that will make so much more value in a session like that. And I love your point of the engagement you're going to get out of your board, right? As opposed to just kind of a, uh, a quick exercise that they will uh, ho-hum about. Right. Um, it sounds like you really are able to utilize their skills and experience. Right. It really, it helps the whole organization, whatever staff members participate, the executive director or CEO and all the board members really take a look at their organization with a different context, with a different time frame, and look at the organization in a whole new way, which I think is really invaluable when you're setting strategy. Well, and then do you do what, what kind of a built-in recurring activity to you occur? I mean, I'm, I'm assuming that what you describe might be an annual type event, again, to your point of a shorter time horizon, but how do we activate the plan that the USO in that example obviously got excited about, but how do you foresee their ongoing effort to support that plan? Right. Well, they um, when once we identify these different trends, events, and issues that could have an impact the organization ideally would monitor all of these all of these things and search for new ones uh, that might come up and um, be ready to to shift 
so there's there's some paying attention that has to happen in the external landscape, of course, as well as the in, internal landscape. And this is something that some organizations have a director of strategic planning, right. so that person can can take that on. Um, people the 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 board can take that on. There might be a committee of, uh, you know, a, a strategic planning committee that could take that on as an ongoing role. Um, but it, it really means taking a look at reading and following news in sources that are different from what you usually would, um, because, because that's where you start to see where things are showing up. Well, and, and just the tangible nature of your pillars, Gail, would seem to me to lend itself nicely to some sort of scorecard, right? Or some, right. as opposed to a vague vision statement or philosophy, uh, you've broken it down in a way they can track. And so I guess every board meeting, you could literally bring these topics back up and see how we're doing. Exactly, exactly. Well, let's jump into another area that you bring great expertise. Um, you grew up in it, so to speak, in the corporate arena and helping create corporate relationships of support from all those music festivals. Uh, of course, as you and I know and have talked about, philanthropy has maybe a three-legged stool, if you will, individuals and foundations being the other two. But corporate relationships are legitimate revenue sources for so many nonprofits, Um the, the struggle, I guess, of late that maybe we could start this conversation around, Gail, is, you know, maintaining value for my corporate sponsors in a virtual environment. But maybe you could start with that and, and we'll get into some of the corporate sponsorship, adding value that you can share. Yeah, I think that uh, th- when whenever you have some kind of an event or program um, or uh, campaign uh, or some kind of an initiative that brings together an audience, you generally have an opportunity to find sponsors. It's the business model is called a multi-sided platform. And, um, you know, obviously we have shifted, everything is online. And one of the challenges that I see is that nonprofit organizations have this sense or this feeling that their events are sort of lesser than because they're not in person because they're uh, because they're uh, you know because they're being broadcast virtually right but the bottom line is everybody's events are virtual and um, corporations still need to market now some you know have decided to pull back uh, and they're not going to sponsor because it's virtual which I, I I think is a little silly because um, that's where audiences are. So if sponsorship is a great marketing medium for your corporation, which is really what corporate sponsorship is, and people are gathering in virtual settings, whether they're conferences or galas or meetings or smaller hybrid events or whatever it is, then that's where a sponsor should be to, to have visibility, to engage with the audience and so on. So I would first encourage um, nonprofit leaders to not think about their virtual events as less than to really That's a good point. Don't apologize, right, Gail? Don't apologize for you know being a nonprofit event. Yeah, exactly. Or a virtual event. You know, think right. about their event as being their virtual event as being something valuable right now, and um, and then reframe what the value of that of that opportunity is, um, and then. Uh, so there's there's some work that organizations can do around how they think about their events, but then there there are two other issues. One, there, these are all issues that are within their control. One is to 
uh, think about their, their value in terms of what's important to the client, what's important to the sponsor. Too many organizations are using these generic gold, silver, and bronze sponsorship programs, yep. which, which are a commodity. And the way that organizations, quote unquote, sell, that those were air quotes. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. We sell, can't see you, but we know. Yeah, yeah we're, they're there. Um, the way that they sell corporate sponsorship is, you know, basically like mail order. They send out, you know, these order forms and they expect organizations to just fill out the form and send a check back and bingity, bangity, boom, they've got a sponsor. And that's really not the best way to do it. You're not building up relationships. Great point. Yeah. So, um, so it's really to think about uh, their value in different ways. So it's not a commodity, it's not generic, and it's really meeting not only your goals for, for what you're trying to accomplish through this initiative or event, but it fulfills the sponsor's goals. And it actually also fulfills the audience member's goals. So it brings value to the audience. So that's definitely something that a nonprofit leader can change and then the third piece is the way that um, organizations think about working with their partners. Um, they have to have a sales strategy that is not only focused on these relationships, but is really tuned into what sponsors' priorities are and making sure that they can frame their value in terms of their sponsors' priorities. Yeah, I was going to ask you, Gail, because that's such a good point. And I've I know I've been guilty and part of organizations that send exactly that gold, silver, bronze, hoping you corporate person will just adapt to our model. <laughs> and I guess what you're saying is I should be talking to my corporate contact about what they want. And the more I can tailor it, is that a fair way to approach this kind of corporate relationship? That's exactly right. Right. That's in it. That's it in a nutshell. Well, in our, our what 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 are those corporate entities looking for at a high level? You know, I think we need to think more about their perspective and how would you describe some of the keys maybe misunderstood from the nonprofit side as to what these corporate folks are looking for? Well, what corporations are looking for is as unique as every different corporation, but generally um Corporate sponsorship is a form of revenue for a nonprofit organization. However, for a corporation, as I mentioned earlier, sponsorship is a marketing medium. Yep. So um, corporations, uh, all different departments can use corporate sponsorship to convey a story or uh, engage audiences. But basically a, a corporation, there are, you know, dozens and dozens of different goals that a corporation might have from driving traffic to their website or to their retail outlet or um, having sales or building awareness or building thought leadership or, you know, expanding the number of members to their, their membership program. There are all kinds of ways that corporations, um, use corporate sponsorship to fulfill their goals. So that's why having this dialogue is really important. Um, obviously, right now, diversity, equity, and inclusion is super important. Right. Um, engaging uh, employees in, in their work is really important. Employee wellness is important. I've seen some sponsors um, create programs to really support small businesses, since small businesses, especially small retail businesses, are really hurting. Um, so there, there are as many different goals as there are corporations. You could drive around your town and see 
five or 10 different banks, for example, and every one <laughs> right. of them would have a different goal because every company is in a different life stage or has a different strategy. Some might be, you know, wanting to be uh, bought up or some might be on the prowl for um, acquisitions that they can make. Some are old and stodgy and that's their reputation and some are, you know, slick and, and only online. So every one of those banks has a different goal and might be a great partner for different kinds of organizations. Again, that's why that, that dialogue and that relationship is so important. I'm glad you uh, reinforced that. I guess as a nonprofit leader, I need to do my homework, right? And I need right. to understand what kind of bank that is. And and I, I suppose, Gail, do my homework around, is that bank sponsoring other nonprofits? What can I learn from that? And or even some of their, I guess, for-profit marketing efforts, would that would help me be more effective in that conversation that eventually occurs. Right. And getting back to paying attention to trends, events, and issues also paying attention to different hot buttons. So for example, when there is a merger, a new brand is created. And so the marketplace needs to learn about what this new brand is or that you know, bank A is now going to be named bank B yep. and all those customers. So those are there are many opportunities or sometimes there's a new product launch um, or there's some other change in strategy that the, or the, you know, an expansion into a new market. So these are all opportunities when there are additional marketing spends that can be advantageous for organizations that are securing sponsors. Yeah, my wheels are turning, obviously, Gail, thanks to you <laughs> and that. So when I see the new merger in town, perhaps one of my first efforts would be a congratulations on the merger and how can we help you lift right. up, you know, if it's a legitimate kind of partner that you can feel comfortable with. Mm -hmm. um, that would be the kind of proactive corporate sponsorship that I think you're suggesting. Exactly. Exactly. Well, you've written a lot about this, Gail. And as I recall, you even wrote a book about some of this stuff. Are there other kind of resources or ideas in terms of how we better get our arms around corporate sponsorship that you might recommend? Yes. Um, well, I do. I do have a blog, sponsorshipstrategist.com. Uh, I would say Kim Skildum Reed is an excellent resource on corporate sponsorship. She's written two books that she keeps pretty updated. Um, I'm sure that's a, an enormous task for her, but she, <laughs> exactly. she does a great job. One is called the uh, Sponsorship Seekers Toolkit, and the other is the Corporate Sponsor Toolkit. I think I have those names correct. And um, she usually, like I said, she updates them, you know, every three to five years, I, I, I guess. Uh, so she uh, really outlines the process and, and has a lot of great digital tools that come with the book. Um, I also, you know, teach webinars and um, there's the International Festival Event Association that has a lot of information about events and uh, festivals, obviously, as the name implies, but they often have uh, webinars uh, on sponsorship and articles in their wonderful magazine. Um, so those are a few resources That's, that I would recommend. Yeah, it's a treasure trove, and I, uh, you and I can connect, so I can make sure that I get them accurately embedded mm -hmm. into the show notes here. And I talk about curating knowledge uh, on the path to nonprofit leadership. So I know there are listeners right now thinking, "Yeah, I need to sharpen my skills in this corporate kind of revenue space." And that is a wonderful collection that they might want to consider studying, uh, so to speak. But let me jump back to our third kind of headline topic for discussion, Gail. And 
you made an interesting point to me that while we can get into a lot of these tactical ideas, you suggest that many nonprofits just simply don't have a good marketing plan. And I wonder if you could start by defining that and, you know, what exactly is a good marketing plan, but I tend to agree with you. I think there's a lot of tactical activity and marketing going on, but maybe not a unifying plan to start with. Yes, that is definitely the case. Uh, and, um, um, you know, there's every organization, every kind of business, whether it's nonprofit or for-profit or an association has to have marketing as a key function of its business model. Because if nobody knows that you have a service or a program or that uh, there's an opportunity for a donor to make a contribution uh, to support something that they're deeply passionate about, then, you know, who cares, right? So that's really what the function of marketing is, is to, uh, to be out front scouting new people that can be participating in your organization in whatever way is, you know, best for you and and they. Um, It's helping attract more people, more constituents for programs that you offer or to drive attendance to events um, or to attract donors, the right kinds of donors uh, and um, or, you know, people to come to your theater or uh, whatever, whatever the case may be. Um, And to, to really educate people a lot about what it is that the issue is that, the, that you're focused on. Um, so there is right now, uh, there's so much information out there. And unfortunately, there's a lot of misinformation out there that, that are causing a lot of stumbling blocks for, for people. And so we need to hear from you and your organization about areas where you have expertise and it's not about just throwing, you know, throwing lots of information out there on every social media channel that exists. <laughs> right. but in, yeah, but instead being really strategic about it um, so that you're communicating the right messages in the right ways, using the right tools with the right, um, you know, with the right customers and really being clear about customers and um, this is this is really important work to be doing, um, and the payoffs are you know huge for organizations. So I uh, try to work with clients where they are. A lot of times, organizations do have these wonderful people on their teams that are posting Facebook posts or you know post you know whatever posting on all social the social media. media. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, right. right, but that doesn't mean that there's any end game in mind that they're just posting, 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 but are they getting results? That's the, that's the real, that's where the rubber really meets the road. If you're just posting, 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 and nothing's changing, um, especially on social media, uh, when social media platforms have proliferated, um, but these are not assets that you own. So there's a fair amount of risk involved. So, yeah. So um, when there is a strategy involved, Uh, what happens is your staff members can let go of activities that actually aren't really driving any results. And they can focus on tools and methodologies and digital platforms and so on that really will get results. Uh, So one of my clients, we just did a recap the other day of some work that we've been doing during the pandemic for for literally this last year. And it was a whole new direction for this organization. And they're using their their staff resources better. 
Um, they're getting tremendous results. They, they had a 6% conversion rate for this very complex program that they offer in a pandemic. Wow. Um, you know, typical direct response conversion is one to 2%. They had a 6%. I was in, practically in tears. That's I was impressive. So, yeah. so excited for them. And they have more awareness. Their their staff is like so charged up, and they they have new ideas, um, better relationships, more awareness, and they're really creating assets that are going to have a long term impact on the organization. And it's so exciting for me to see what's happening with this team and how they're working together and and really propelling the organization. Well, and yeah, just to restate. Because, um, you know, I'm not going to impress you, it sounds like, just because I tell you I'm doing more Instagram and Facebook and I've got TikTok now on my <laughs> social media platform as a nonprofit. What are the characteristics, again, that a good marketing plan contains that, you know, we need to be thinking more about? Well, first of all, clarity around who your audience is, very yep. specifically. Um, number two, uh, a whole messaging framework so that, uh, so that your the organization is very clear about how it needs to communicate and what it needs to be communicating on a regular basis. Often we're bored of our message being before our audience. We live it. Yeah, we live in it, don't we? Yeah, exactly. So um, really, you know, a really clear messaging framework. Um, and then I would say the third, I mean, there are a whole bunch of, you know, a lot of different things that I could get into, but I would say a third piece is, um, really, uh, uh, the goals that an organization has for communicating and marketing in general, and then the tactical plan to actually get there. So what are the tactics? What are the promotions you're going to have throughout the year? What are the campaigns that you'll have throughout the year? What are, you know, what is your timeline? What are the budgets? All those things, you know, form the tactical plans so that the marketing team or person knows what's coming up and they can better prepare for and really leverage time to execute these um, these ideas in a timely way so that it really drives the results that you want to have. Yeah, so well put. And I, I would wager you would agree that I think organizations sometimes jump to tactical activity, don't they? Because it's a you know, a shiny new social media platform instead of answering your first questions, which are who exactly are you targeting? What is the message you want to deliver? Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. It's, I mean, I think the human brain has a tendency to want to move to tactics because it's easier, it's concrete, but if the, if you can stay in the strategic area a little bit to really figure out where you want to go again, it's making that future come, come forward. Um, so when you can make that happen, then you can put the right tactics into place as opposed to just a random scattershot approach of tactics. Yeah, well put. And Gail, this has been fantastic. And again, I think our listeners have three distinct areas to think about sharpening their skills and experience around strategic planning. And again, I love the new kind of paradigm you've offered your four pillars there. Give us new ways to to sharpen that effort. Uh, obviously, our relationships with our corporate partners, I think you've given us a way to look at that very differently. Uh, then a po- I, I, we should never do gold, silver, bronze again. <laughs> right. right. Bill? I, I, <laughs> I, I have that as a takeaway in my notes for sure. And, and again, the fundamental marketing plan that uh, you said among several of your comments that nonprofits, I guess, spread themselves too thin back to the geographic, I think was the example you gave. But I think we could apply that in general 
um, marketing plans will help them be more strategic and focused. So having recapped all of that, I wondered, do you have any final thoughts about for someone on the path to nonprofit leadership, any other advice you might offer them? Yeah, well, you know, these, these three buckets that we've just been talking about today are all very interconnected. Um, you know, selling sponsorship, I often tell my clients is selling the future. And when you're, when you're marketing, you know, a futurist doesn't just come with a hat on that says I'm a futurist. There are anyone that is helping to make something happen in the future is a futurist. I've met economists who are futurists. I've met military people who are economists, nonprofit people. I met somebody in the fashion world who considered herself a futurist because he was thinking about what we might wear in the future, which I would love to know that as we come out of this (laughs) pandemic. (laughs) Right, right. Our our wardrobe's going to have to change maybe, right? Yes, exactly. Hopefully. So thinking about where the organization is going in the future, what it needs to get there, and then what marketing plans need to be, uh, need to help support that strategy. And then also bringing our partners along, including our donors or funders, including our corporate sponsors, all of these things tie together, all of these things work together and are interacting together to make the change that the organization's leadership, the the executive director, the CEO, the board members, and then the heads of departments, making all of that change come to life. So getting, uh, I think people need to get ready for more change to come, Um, relish how much you've accomplished and how resilient you've been, and then clear your mind uh, and get ready for a creative approach as we work, uh, as we work to, to move ahead and move into a happier time and maybe the roaring 20s. That is so well put and a great spirit of advice, uh, both literally and uh, philosophically, I guess, in terms of how we can approach things. And so grateful, Gail, for all of your words of wisdom and advice. And if I could ask for one other parting gift that we can put in the show notes, how about a book recommendation? Anything that's been important to you on your journey or that you might offer to our listeners? Yeah, I. Uh, this is a very hard assignment that you gave me, Pat, and I have to say. <laughs> yes, uh, it was. It was tough. Yeah, because as an English major, you know, I could just name every book that I've ever read because they've all had an <laughs> impact on me, even the ones I didn't care for so much. But <laughs> right. I, I would recommend two books right now and two books that really have had a significant impact on me. Um, one is uh, called When Things Fall Apart, Heart Advice for Difficult Times. It's by an amazing woman and an amazing author named Pema Chodron, who is an American uh, Buddhist nun. And um, don't let the those monikers, um, you know, dissuade. Scare you uh, off from, yeah, right. Yeah, the book is an amazing book. I actually read it during a very difficult time of my life. And I just would finish it and turn it back over and start reading it again. I've probably read the book, you know, a dozen times. Wow. And every time I read it, it's, it gives me, you know, just new insights. But basically the book really helps us think about and put fear uh, in a different context and get more comfortable with change and uncertainty. And I can't think of a more relevant 
skill that we all need right now to get our emotional state under control, not, not throw it away or pretend it doesn't matter, but just get to a, a calmer place so that we can work from a place of calm and find a place of creativity. Well put. And the second book, um, really, if for anyone, people tell me all the time that they don't think that they're creative. And I think there's creativity to be found everywhere. And so there's a wonderful book that your guest, uh, Ben Moeller, also cited. And it's called The Artist's Way by Julia Cameron. And it's actually like a 12-week class that helps you let go of fears or anything that's blocking you from creativity and really appreciate the creativity that you have. And creativity doesn't mean you have to be an artist or whatever. Being a parent to me is creative or running a business or running a nonprofit has a lot of creativity. Absolutely. So it, yeah, so it might, it might be a good, a good book for people that feel like they need to dust off their perceptions or their ideas about creativity and give themselves some inspiration and, and uh, you know, just charged up. Fantastic, Gail. Uh, two great choices. I'm delighted to add them both to the show notes of this episode and uh, obviously connect you and Ben think alike in terms of the creativity that do in, or does indeed apply to nonprofit leadership. We don't need to just be reading fundraising books, as I said to right. Ben, and I know you agree, Gail, but yes, fantastic. Again, thank you for a a host of resources. And so Gail, if people want to learn more about you and the great work you're doing, where would you like them to go? Oh, well, first I want to thank you so much, Patton. This has been a great discussion and um, you're doing wonderful work with nonprofit organizations and building leaders. So I really appreciate everything that you're doing. Uh, if organizations or leaders are more interested in taking a look at my work, I welcome them at my website, which is gailbauer.com, G-A-I-L-B-O-W-E-R.com. And I also have a blog. Uh, there's a blog there at gailbauer.com, but I also have a separate blog at sponsorshipstrategist.com. That's obviously all about sponsorship. Fantastic. We will happily link all of that up in the show notes. And Gail, thank you so much for joining me on the path. Thank you. Thank you very much. Well, I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Gail as much as I did and came away with some practical ideas that can guide your professional journey and enhance your organization strategy. Don't forget the show notes are available on our website, PattonMcDowell.com. You can find out more about Gail, the great work she's doing at Bauer and Company, and check out some of the resources, both her book and her free guide, the must-attend virtual events in seven steps. Uh, you need to check that out. It's a great resource for your event planning going forward. As always, thanks for sharing this episode with someone else on the path. And if you haven't already, you can subscribe to this podcast. Just go to the podcast page at patmcdowell.com and you'll see links to all of the primary podcast platforms. Don't miss out on any of our weekly episodes. They come out every Thursday, as well as bonus features like this one that we're producing at least once a month. Thanks for all you're doing in the nonprofit sector, especially right now. Keep up the good work for causes that are most meaningful to you. I'll keep bringing you content that can help you do it even better. Have a great week, and I'll see you next time on The Path.